The following podcast may contain content that is not suitable for all ages or sensitive ears. Please be responsible. Thank you, and donkey. As an additional disclaimer, please take note that the following podcast is exceptionally intense and somewhat disturbing. Hello, Save Them family. Landon here. Welcome to this episode of the Save Them podcast. As we enter part two of our series on the problem of pedophilia. And uh, this week, we're going to uh, touch on something that has emerged, uh, which um, many powers that be are trying to sweep under the rug or tell you it's not the case, um, but it, it actually very much is the case, and it's just a logical extension of what's going on, and that's the connection of pedophilia to the LGBT movement um, and the extension of the uh, this this just general idea that whatever perspective you have or whatever sexual desires you have is just a function of who you are and you should get to determine that. And nobody should judge your um, choices, your tastes, your whatever, uh, and that everything is okay, that there are no boundaries. It's a boundaryless existence and that... You know, there, there is no role for society or individuals or religions or whatever to take a perspective on uh, when too far is too far. And, um, and we, as a ministry, will definitely say that pedophilia is too far, right? Because the moment that adults target children for their own uh, sexual perversions... Uh, then you, you've crossed a boundary. You know, um, Adults making their own choices and doing whatever they will do is up to adults, and that's between them and the Lord. Um, but when adults target children, now we're, we're in a different ballgame. Uh, children have not reached the stage of mature decision-making and are easily manipulated and confused. So uh, what I want to highlight today is this connection to the movement, um, adding adding letters, or just leveraging uh, the movement itself to kind of slip in the pedophilia piece. And uh, what I want to start out by doing is I'm going to read an article that was published in Newsweek uh, so that you can see that this kind of stuff is, is happening in the real world, and there is obviously pushback against this, which is <laughs> right and just. If there was zero pushback, then we, I guess, all should throw in the towel and just go home because <laughs> we're done for. Um, but what what we are looking at is a situation where people are starting to raise red flags. Um, but at the same time, there's a real push uh, from the movement to normalize pedophilia. And so what I'm going to play for you today after uh, reading through the Newsweek article yeah, are two clips from two TED Talks that were given in the past couple years uh, which sort of outline this acceptance of pedophilia. And so it's important uh, that that we all understand that these perspectives are being pushed. We understand exactly how the arguments are being formed. And um, both of the presentations uh, actually come from Europe, uh, which has already gone well far down the road of a boundaryless kind of society. And, um, and what's happening stateside is kind of this leap 
to try to go from a more boundaried, moral, principled society to an extreme uh, version of the European boundarylessness. And so in the States, we're just trying to go to straight chaos and destruction um, and just even leapfrog the slow progression of denigration that has happened in, in European society. So here we are. Again, when I say things like that, I'm, it, these are kind of broad brush strokes. You know, you can't paint all environments with the same thing, but there are macro level movements happening and it does affect things like legislation at the European Parliament level. It affects things at the U.S. Congress level, et cetera, et cetera. So um, those broad strokes do surface in things like legislation and also in, in mass media. I mean, you can see this everywhere in mass media um, in <laughs> and uh yeah just just turn on the tv for five minutes and you'll be hit with it it's it's pretty crazy um so anyhow uh let's let's jump into this newsweek article i really think you're gonna find this interesting this is a uh, newsweek article in the u.s edition of newsweek and the title is who is alan walker um odu uh which is old dominion university in virginia uh, professor quits after pedophilia remarks spark backlash. And this article was published at the end of 21. So it's about a, only 18 months old or so. Uh, so let's, let's look through this and, and see, listen to the conversation. Right? Just listen to how this is being discussed. And in part one, we talked a little bit about the Overton window and how things get shifted around uh, so that we actually reframe our window of what's even acceptable to think about. And um, if you hear the conversation currently, you know, anybody, let's say over the age of 50, will think back to when they were a kid and nobody would even fathom that this would be a conversation happening in the, in the town square, right? Okay, so let's look at this article. A university academic who referred to pedophiles as, quote, minor attracted people, unquote, or MAPS, M-A-P-S, in a book aimed at preventing sexual abuse against children, will step down following controversy sparked by the phrase. Now, just, just let's just pause. They open the article by saying, basically, that the, they're, they're defending the contents of the book in the article itself, just FYI, um, as though that is a, a, you should just take that at face value, Right? Um, that this book about maps, which is basically pedophiles, there's a book about it aimed at preventing sexual abuse against children. But let's, let's, let's keep going. Alan Walker, who worked at ODU in Norfolk, Virginia, had been placed on administrative leave on November 16th following an outcry over the term maps, which critics say destigmatized sex offenders. A statement by Walker after the resignation said that the research was intended to work towards preventing child abuse and had been mischaracterized by some in the media and online, partly on the basis of my trans identity. Okay, so here's someone who identifies as trans writing a book about pedophiles and how them being attracted to children as long as they don't, uh, the long story short, as long as they don't act on it, they're not abusing children. Um, this is obviously contrary to what Jesus had to say <laughs> about 
uh, thoughts and lust and all that. But never mind that. That in, in the in the the physical world of criminal prosecution, et cetera, et cetera, it, it it's a point that can be made. It's not a good one because what ends up happening with almost all pedophiles is that what become begins with thoughts transitions into action. But okay, let me carry on with the article. Quote. Multiple threats were made against me and the campus community generally, Walker said, unquote. Again, that's a completely unprovable statement, which is not backed up at all in the article. It's just something that's just thrown in there. Walker's book, A Long Dark Shadow, Minor Attracted People and Their Pursuit of Dignity, was published in June. Okay, now, now remember, this is coming from someone who identifies as trans and is writing a book about pedophiles pursuing dignity. So if you're pursuing dignity based on your lustful attraction to children, what circle are you walking in? (laughs) Okay. All right. A description of the book by publisher University of California Press, not surprising, says it disputes the view those attracted to minors are, quote unquote, are necessarily also predators and sex offenders, unquote, unquote, unquote. I got that mixed up. But you understand what's being said here is that you're only a predator or a sex offender if you act on your lusts. Now, I just want to highlight here that um, we have yet to have a conversation about child pornography. Okay, so what's kind of operating in the background here is that, yay, as long as you lust after things, and even if you watch child porn, well, you're not really the guy in the video raping the child. So you're not the sex offender. So what they're doing is they're walking a a legal line to say, I'm not legally committing these crimes. Therefore I'm not that. But meanwhile, they actually are that and they're just not prosecutable, right? Their, their, their thoughts and their lusts and their child porn support uh, would, would actually be 80, 90% of that equation. What they're saying is that because they don't have the last 10%, which is they haven't grabbed a child and abused them, then they're good to go. Okay, so that's, and they, they deserve dignity as a result of that because they're able to not grab somebody and abuse them. Okay, let's just carry on. However, its publication spurred more than 14,000 people to sign a change.org petition calling for Walker's ouster. Quote, we want to be clear that this is pedophilia and should not be considered a sexual preference, unquote, said the petition. All right, I'll... Uh, I would have liked to have signed onto that petition, quite frankly, because that is logical and true. Amid the controversy over the research, Walker had the support of other academics. Ha! Ah, academia uniting together to support these types of things. More than 60 professors in sexual abuse prevention, mental health, human sexuality, and criminology signed a letter to the ODU's administration defending Walker's, quote, important and groundbreaking, unquote, scholarship. All right, so these days, if you get a whole lot of people that think the same way you do uh, to sign a letter um, that you guys all think the same, um, that seems to make it okay. So if 60 pedophiles sign a letter uh, supporting pedophilia, does that make pedophilia okay? Pregnant pause. No, it doesn't. Okay. Quote, the public backlash reflects a misunderstanding and mischaracterization of Walker's research, unquote, the letter said. Um, That's actually 
a lie. That statement right there is a complete lie. It added, quote, we urge you to consider the dire ramifications for academic freedom, unquote, from removing a professor from their post, quote, because the topic of their research is emotionally charged, uncomfortable to discuss, and difficult to understand, unquote. Okay, here's the deal. It is not difficult to understand that adults lusting after children is a bad thing. That's not difficult. What's difficult is to try to rationalize it and make it okay. All right, so we, we have a fundamental disagreement on our hands here. Because those who stand on the side of light and the Lord and supporting and protecting children are opposed to people who stand on the side of darkness and Antichrist and hurting children. It's never, ever going to be okay. It's never going to be okay for an adult to lust after the sexual um, aspects of a child. That's just never, ever, ever going to be okay. And you can't rationalize it even though you have lots of buddies who want to. Walker has agreed to stay on administrative leave after stepping down in May of 2022. In a joint statement on Wednesday with ODU President Brian Hemphill, Walker thanked the ODU Department of Public Safety, quote, for monitoring the threats against me and the community, unquote. Okay. None of this is verifiable. This happens all the time these days where people just say things. There's no, there's no proof of any threats. There is proof of disagreement, which came in the form of a change.org petition to have the guy removed because he was talking about how it's okay for maps to pursue children. There's no, there's no anything about threats here, just disagreement. And disagreeing with somebody is not threatening just because you have an opposing position. All right. At least it didn't used to be. Okay. Hemphill said Walker's resignation would be, quote, the best way to move forward, unquote, and that the safety and security of those on the campus are of the utmost importance. Well, okay, but honestly, people who are out there um, disagreeing with you in your position are doing just that. And they're asking for you to stop being in a position of manipulating academia because you're trying to tell people and teach teenagers and young adults that it's okay for a 50-year-old man to lust after a five-year-old child, and that's just how he was born. That's not okay. You, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. And you shouldn't have a position of authority as though you're some kind of intellectual, uh, which allows you to manipulate others and brainwash them into thinking that these things are okay. That's just not all right. So, okay, here we go. When contacted for comment, the ODU referred Newsweek to its joint media statement by Hemphill and Walker. It also referred to another statement by Hemphill, which said that, quote, decisions were made to protect the life and safety of faculty members and others on campus and beyond, unquote. All right, whatever. Uh, we've already talked about that. So then the article goes on. Who is Alan Walker? Walker, who identifies as transgender, okay, so now we're, we're connecting the MAPS piece to the LGBT movement, right? Um, and this is where these things originate, uh, by and large, as far as the support for pedophilia. Walker, who identifies as transgender, had been assistant professor of sociology and criminal justice at ODU since 2019, according to WTKR. Excuse me. 
Walker earned a PhD in criminal justice. It just reminds me in the Bible, it says they became so wise, you know, so smart that they actually became fools. Walker earned a PhD in criminal justice at John Jay College and the Graduate Center at the City University of, wait for it, New York. <laughs> Good old New York. According to ResearchGate, which said they completed a postdoctoral fellowship at the Utah Criminal Justice Center at the University of Utah. That's interesting and somewhat surprising, actually. Um, for those who aren't familiar with the, the way the U.S. works, you've got these kind of pockets around the country that have these, um, you know, most of the country is kind of middle of the road on most things. But then you have these these pockets that tend to swing a little more extreme one way or the other as far as uh, politics or ideology or whatever. Um, obviously, New York, it, it, anybody who's been to New York knows that it is a very, very um, hard uh, left pushing state um, has been for quite some time and has really been on the forefront of the LGBT movement. So not surprising that uh, this guy went through there. Although the the University of Utah piece, that's interesting. Um, haven't really come across that before in Utah. In the preface of the book that sparked the controversy, Walker describes their first job as a social worker. Now listen, they're, they're they're saying they, as though this person has multiple personalities in their brain. Um, this is one of the very, very interesting things about the transgender th um, pronoun deal, uh, where people, individuals, refer to themselves as they. Well, anybody who's worked with multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder should have red flags going off, right? Anybody who's referring to themselves as multiple people, you're, going, you're saying, hey, there's abuse there. Where does most of that abuse come from? Sexual abuse as a child. Hmm. So I, I have a lot of actual sympathy for people who are adults referring to themselves as multiple people um, or dealing with dissociative identity dis disorder because um, many of them were abused as children and began to disassociate. And that is a horrible, horrible thing. And so I have a lot of sympathy for that. But to normalize it as a standard in society that we're pursuing and that we should convince children that they should be confused about this and allow 50 year olds to target five year olds. We're, we're, we're so far over the line on that at this point that it's just not acceptable. So um, let's carry on. Um, I'm just going to read this, uh, even though um, referring to an individual as multiple people, um, I, I actually think is irresponsible, um, but I'm just going to read the article. In the preface to the book that sparked controversy, Walker described their first job as a social worker where they acted as a counselor for victims of sexual assault, some of whom were children. Walker describes how through research their view of minor attracted people, quote-unquote, changed from assuming they were simply people who had committed a crime. Walker noted, see, I don't even know when it's singular and plural now. It's, it's so confusing and it's ridiculous. We've destroyed language. <clears throat> Walker noted that, quote, we generally don't place a distinction between people who are attracted to minors and people who have committed a sexual offense against a child, unquote. In an interview on November 8th with the San Francisco-based child protection organization Prostasia Foundation, Walker said, quote, we have a tendency to want to categorize people with these attractions as evil or morally corrupt. 
when we're talking about non-offending maps, these are people who have an attraction they did not ask for, unquote. <sighs> okay, so this is the crux of the issue right here. Um, again, back to these pockets of ideological bent. Uh, we talked about New York earlier, and now we're talking about San Francisco. Uh, they're, they're just pushing a certain type of ideology, um, and then, actually, it's, you know, when you look at this uh, latest trans movement and you look at the statistics on children having surgeries to cut off their reproductive organs, etc., you see that a vast majority, skewed, way out of proportion, are coming from these areas. Uh, so you have a, an indoctrination and fad aspect where people are actually targeting children and confusing them into life-altering decisions that can't be reversed. So that's criminal. And uh, that is, should never be acceptable in society. Um, but I, that's, that's another, we'll, we'll talk about that more later. Uh, but I want to highlight this, that the statement, we have a tendency to want to categorize people with these attractions as evil or morally corrupt. Well, yeah. Um, a 50-year-old man lusting after a five-year-old boy is evil and morally corrupt. Yes, correct. And we should have that tendency on behalf of the five-year-old boy. We, we, we absolutely should. And so, and then he says, when we're talking, or he, she, it, um, they, whatever they're referring to themselves as, uh, I don't know. When we're talking about non-offending maps. Okay, a non-offending map. So what they're saying is that, um, in this article, is that there is a legal line um, or they're quoting actually this person that there's a legal line that can be drawn that says as long as you don't act on things. So this would be like saying, you know, you really love to watch rape. You love watching rape. And so you might log into websites, you might watch other people rape other people, but you don't rape people yourself. So, and, and it's not your fault that you lust after rape. It's just, it's just how you are. And as long as you don't do it yourself, then we're all good. Um, and that is the position, effectively, that the, this professor is taking. So after being accused of trying to, quote, normalize, unquote, adults who are attracted to children with the comments that spurred a strong social media response, Walker issued a statement that said, quote, I want to be clear. Child sexual abuse is an inexcusable crime, unquote. Um... Great. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you support that children should not be abused. Um, one of the, the main ways that we don't get to the eventual actions that take place in society is by stopping the root and addressing the root causes before they get there. So, for example, most of the guys that we've arrested uh, with our authority partners who are in possession of child pornography... Child pornography is downstream almost always from regular pornography initially. All right. And most everybody who uh, engages in pornography, um, especially child porn, they have abuse in their childhood or sexual exposure in their childhood, uh, which has uh, messed with their minds and actually locked their minds um, actually refer to this as mind lock, where your mind is locked into uh, lusting after and craving um, 
certain patterns that are established when you're a child. So when someone is abused as a child or exposed to pornography as a child um, or involved in sexual activity as a child, then you're kind of, um, you get this like mind lock, this pattern, which sort of can stay with you uh, for much of your life if you don't deal with it. And so you will find yourself as a 40-year-old lusting after a 12-year-old, but it's still not okay, and you still need to deal with that. Uh, you don't get to just kind of be like, okay, cool, uh, let me find ways to um, work out my lusts uh, without actually physically getting in legal trouble. Um, and the, the reality is, is that when only one person commits crime, then that means that at least one life is destroyed. And that's, that's, that's the bridge too far. So what you can't do is create bubbles in society where, where everybody's allowed to just act out on all their lusts and desires uh, with impunity and in the hopes that you know, everybody's going to just hold back from the eventual actions. Um, and that's, that's, it, this goes across all different kind of criminal stuff, right? Um, I could name all criminal enterprise, everything from violence to gambling to pornography. I mean, you just, all of it. It's all the same in that regard. And it's, it's Satan's play, which says, follow my broad road. Follow my broad road. Do whatever you want. It's all good. And then um, the Lord's saying, no, no, no. Narrow, narrow is the, the path. Narrow is the path. And so as the Lord's children... We, we can't have any tolerance for the broad road. So what this professor is doing in this article, and, and, and that is the end of the article, it, the professor is basically saying, I'm against God, and I want to create a society where people can act out on their lusts in their minds, hearts, and just be who they are as long as they don't physically act out on it. And so, you know, that's this professor's perspective, and uh, we vehemently disagree with that. Now, what I want you to hear as I, as I roll into these two TED Talks, I think each one's about 15 minutes, um, I want you to hear the postulations the, the way that the argument is concocted and just manipulated and justified as to why pedophilia is just A-okay, no big deal. And I want you to think in your heart of hearts and as a Christian or just as a person, I mean, <laughs> like, this should be ingrained in all of us to care about children not being sexually lusted after and molested. Okay, We should all care about that. Unfortunately, that's not the case. But definitely as followers of Christ Jesus and as the Lord's children, we have to have a strong opinion about this and take a strong stance. So I'm going to go ahead and roll into the, the TED Talks now and just think about these arguments and how they're, they're shifting the Overton window. And they're changing the way that you and I even are able to talk about and think about these issues. There, this is so far down the road at this point, folks, the fact that this is the discourse. Um, so the TED Talks I'm going to put in are from 2018 and 2021. And the ball has continued to move, even though because of a lot of the pushback, a lot of it is sort of 
in the background and it's come through in things like legislation and it's come through in these trends, fads and epidemics of targeting of children that are happening legally at this point. Remember what we always like to say, the Nazis did a lot of horrible things, but they all did it all legally because they changed the laws before they did it. So they were always operating within the law. So that's the societal kind of push that these folks are trying to do so that the laws around pedophilia will be changed. And in South Africa, this battle is being won by the enemy as they reduce the age of consent lower and lower and lower. All right. So I'm going to hand you over to the TED Talks now. Thank you for taking part in this uh, episode. And uh, thanks for sticking with us. We appreciate all your prayers and support. Don't forget us at savethem.org. And we've got our contact form there. If anybody out there needs help or knows somebody that does, please reach out to us. All right, this is Landon out. Cheers. Let me tell you about Jonas. Jonas is 19 years old. He studies law in Munich. In his spare time, he likes to play soccer. Jonas has a secret which he thinks he cannot share with anyone, not even with his best friend or with his parents. He's just too afraid of anger, rejection and repulsion. Jonas knows that he has to suppress his sexual drive for his entire life. And he also knows that there will never be a loving and fulfilling partnership that he can enter. Because Jonas is a pedophile. He's only attracted to female children between the ages of 6 and 12 years. But since he's aware of the consequences for the children, he has never given in to his sexual drive. What is pedophilia? And what is it not? In the ICD-10, the International Classification System for Illnesses, pedophilia is coded as the sexual preference for pre-adolescent children. It is listed under the sexual disorders. Whether the persistent occurrence of sexual thoughts and feelings for pre-adolescent children have been acted upon or not is not relevant to the diagnosis. Like every other sexual orientation, pedophilia can have different characteristics. For example, it can be heterosexual, it can be homosexual, bisexual, some pedophiles are exclusively attracted to children. Others are not exclusively attracted to children, but they're also sexually interested in adults. But their main sexual interest lies within children. Only if this main sexual interest is given, we talk about pedophilia. The vast majority of all pedophiles are men, about 99%. 
Within the male population, one to two percent are considered to be pedophiles. This translates to about 60 million people worldwide. This is as much as the population of Italy or of South Africa. Therefore, pedophilia is not an irrelevant phenomenon we can't simply ignore. Chances every one of you knows at least one pedophile are higher than that you don't know anyone. We haven't found out yet why pedophilia occurs. There are biological, social and psychological factors to it. It occurs unrelated to social economical status and unrelated to educational level. So generally speaking, anyone could be born a pedophile. It is crucial to understand the difference between pedophilia and child sexual abuse, which is illegal and must always be. Pedophilia is only the sexual preference for pre-adolescent children. The difference between child sexual abuse and pedophilia becomes very obvious when we look at scientific studies. Think about it for yourself. What do you think? What percentage of child molesters are pedophiles? Have a guess. Is it 20%, 40 60 maybe even 80%? In fact, scientific studies indicate that only 20 to 30% of all child molesters are pedophiles. The vast majority of perpetrators are not pedophiles, but they're sexually interested in adults. Children can easily become victims of child sexual abuse because of their loyalty and because of ease of access. For example, a stepfather might abuse a stepdaughter because he feels anger or jealousy towards her mother. Not every pedophile abuses children. And not everyone who abuses children is a pedophile. Differentiating between these two groups is essential. Let me be very clear here. Abusing children is wrong without any doubt. But a pedophile who doesn't abuse children has done nothing wrong. I want to quickly summarize where we are at the moment. According to current research, pedophilia is an unchangeable sexual orientation, just like, for example, heterosexuality. No one chooses to be a pedophile. No one can cease being one. The difference between pedophilia and other sexual orientations is that living out this sexual orientation will end in a disaster. So let's think about Jonas again. How can we help him not to cause such a disaster? How can we help him not to live out his sexual urges? 
how can we prevent child sexual abuse? In fact, scientific studies indicate that one of the strongest predictors for child sexual abuse committed by pedophiles is social isolation. People who can't tell anyone that they're pedophiles logically won't get any help. For example, they can't tell their friends that they can't go to the beach because children in swimsuits might be there as well. They can't get support for situations they might not control entirely. And they can never be completely frank with someone else. We can make a difference for Jonas. We, as a society, can be there for him. At the moment, we live in a world that already excludes pedophiles because of their preference alone. Someone who is lonely and excluded from society has little to lose and is at much higher risk to commit a crime like, for example, child sexual abuse. We can make Jonas feel that he stays a valuable member of our society, although he's a pedophile. Right now, most of us feel discomfort when we think about this scenario. And most of us feel discomfort when we think about pedophiles. But just like pedophiles, we are not responsible for our feelings. We do not choose them. But we are responsible for our actions. And we must make a decision. It is in our responsibility to reflect and to overcome our negative feelings about pedophiles and to treat them with the same respect we treat other people with. We should accept that pedophiles are people who have not chosen their sexuality and who, unlike most of us, will never be able to live it out freely if they want to lead an upright life. We should accept that pedophilia is a sexual preference, a thought, a feeling, and not an act. We should differentiate between child sexual abuse and pedophilia. We shouldn't increase the suffering of pedophiles by excluding them, by blaming and mocking them. By doing that, we increase their isolation and we increase the chance of child sexual abuse. Only if they make themselves recognizable because they're not afraid of punishment, of anger and rejection, can we better understand the causes of pedophilia and we can improve their treatment. We can help them accept their sexuality and help them learn to refrain from acting on their sexual urges which cause harm to children. We can encourage them never to commit child sexual abuse. We can help them refrain from entering dangerous situations they might not control entirely. And we can prescribe medication. This approach has already been successful. In the last 10 years, more than 9,500 people have received help in a prevention network called Kein Täter werden, 
which means don't offend in English, at university hospitals in Germany. The last survey shows that 98% have never committed child sexual abuse. Unfortunately, this program is not, not going to eradicate child sexual abuse, but it is the first step in the right direction. Pedophiles who have received treatment have a better understanding of who they can turn to in order to prevent abuse before it happens. Most of you might ask themselves now, why is she telling us that? Five years ago, I first heard about Jonas's life. Prior to that, I have never really thought about pedophilia and I had just adapted the prevalent societal view about it without never really questioning it. I felt anger and disgust about pedophiles. My perspective has been completely changed by hearing Jonas's story, hearing about his cruel fate and understanding the difference between child sexual abuse and pedophilia. As a medical student with a background in psychology, I feel it as my responsibility to help others overcome and escape wrong stigmatization and to have a positive impact on our future society. By changing our view about pedophilia as a society and by offering them support and therapy, we can help millions of people to live better lives and we can effectively reduce child sexual abuse. No one is responsible for their feelings, but everyone is responsible for their actions. I thank you very much. At some point last year, this article showed up in newspapers all over the world. The police had taken down this massive child pornography network. It was on a dark net and it had nearly 90,000 members. Lots and lots of illegal material was shared and lots of messages were sent through the network. Every day, every hour, every second. People from all over the world were logging into this network anonymously, which makes it extremely difficult for the police to track them down. Now, some of these people only had the aim of collecting child abuse and material online. Others also had the aim of abusing children themselves. Regardless, they all found this deep satisfaction in discussing their deepest fantasies and experiences with regards to child abuse online. 
Apparently, there's a market for this. Well, this makes me ask the question, how can we keep the world of the internet safe for our children? How can we reduce and maybe even eliminate the problem of child exploitation online? Well, that's quite a question to ask. As a psychologist, uh, having worked directly with sex offenders previously, and now working for the Dutch National Police Child Exploitation Unit, I can simply tell you this. Unfortunately, we will never be able to eliminate every possible risk out there. However, there are definitely ways of making the world of the internet a safer place for our children. And the criminal justice system is one solution, but if we want to do more, I need the help of all of you. And in the next 15 minutes or so, I will tell you exactly what we can do and why. But first, let's go back to the basics. At one point, a website was under law enforcement investigation on which 1.3 million images were available. And this is only one website. From experience, I can tell you many, many more websites have been online. So the internet really is a great thing, but it, it gives us lots of opp opportunities, but it does have a downside as well. Because every time that offender presses that send or post button, a victim is re-victimized. Every time that picture is multiplied, re-victimization occurs. It's not really surprising then that all, all law enforcement agencies report massive increases in cases in the last couple of years. Canada is even talking about 233% increase in the last 10 years. So the problem seems to be growing exponentially. And of course, we can partly explain this, this increase in the ease with which images are multiplied and the expansion of the internet. So we're not talking about absolute numbers of growth in offenders and, and victims, but still we're having a problem. Well, this may sound really shocking, but it's not really surprising considering that international research repeatedly portrays that 0.5 up to even 3% of our male population has some form of pedophilic interest. I'm talking about our male population here today because that's what most research is conducted on. I'm not saying that females don't have this difficulty at all, it's just few is known about them. But 0.5 up to 3%. Consider the Netherlands. We have 8.5 million men in total, so this percentage equates with 42,500 up to 255,000 men. That's all inhabitants of a medium-sized city in the Netherlands. To make it even more concrete, I was told that there's about 200 of you in the audience today. Well, looking at you, I think there's slightly more females than males, but let's say that there's 80 males of you here today in the audience. We can all do the maths now, can't we? Statistics indicate that there will be one or two of you who are struggling with some form of pedophilic interest. And what this means is that most probably there will be someone in your environment, someone you know, someone like your neighbor, like your colleague, like your football mate, maybe even your husband or son, 
who is struggling with these sort of feelings, the only thing is, you don't know about it. And here we get to a notion that I really want to emphasize, because even though these percentages are massive, most of these people know that they have feelings that they should repress. So most of these people don't act out on it. They don't offend. Which is great, isn't it? But the problem is, these people can't talk about their feelings because they know that they will be hated for it. I truly do believe that every person is longing for love at some point in their life. And what if this love that you really wish for will forever be impossible? That must be a really lonely situation to be in. It's like telling me, we know that you love your boyfriend and we don't minimize this love. However, you cannot act out on it ever. And on top of that, you won't be able to talk about it with anyone. So unfortunately, sometimes it does go wrong. Sometimes people do start offending. And I'm not justifying this. On the contrary, I, I work for police. I'm just saying that it's a logical thing to happen. So what do we do with this knowledge? Well, I think there will be many of you telling me now, you know what, let's just ban all these people from society. Let's just lock them all up and let's just leave them somewhere far away from our children. And from an emotional point of view, I can kind of understand what you're saying. I became a, an auntie last year for the first time. My little nephew, he, he just turned one. Absolutely crazy about the little boy. And, and we just got back from a family holiday. And we really enjoyed the sun and the beach. The weather was lovely. And I simply cannot imagine the possibility that my little nephew wouldn't be able to walk around in his swimming wear because some adult would be sexually attracted to him. Yes, from an emotional point of view, I can kind of understand that you want to, would want to eliminate these people from society. However, it doesn't make sense. And that's because we're talking about biology. We're talking about a sexual orientation. Something that we simply cannot change. And on top of that, every day new people are born with the same difficulty. So it's not practical to eliminate these people from society. They haven't done anything wrong. So rather than letting our emotions rule, please let's be mature about this problem. Let's think about clever solutions. Because most, more importantly, this pretended solution doesn't take into account the variation between offenders and offenses. What we think about when we hear about sex offenders is what we see portrayed in the media. And the media usually reports about the most extreme cases, the real violent offenders, those people that are portrayed as monsters and less than human. You may have heard about the case of Joseph Fritzl in Austria. He locked up his daughter in a cellar and abused her for years. Maybe you've heard about Robert M. in the Netherlands. He abused 83 children within the ages of zero and four in a daycare facility where he was working. I think most countries know a notorious case like that, and these are the type of cases that all our popular TV series are based on. 
And I can kind of understand that you would want to eliminate these type of people from society. But the problem is, this distorts our view of the factual situation. Because in fact, sex offenders aren't all those violent, gruesome men waiting in the bushes for children they can attack. On the contrary, research portrays that the great, great majority of children that are abused, I'm talking 70, 80, maybe even 90%, they're abused by someone they know, someone close to them, someone from their neighborhood, their family or their sports club. And now I hear you think, yeah, but you know what, whoever the offender and whatever seriousness the crime, they should still all be punished for it. Yes, but what if this time the offender is your neighbor, your colleague, your football mate? What if this time the offender is your husband or son? What if this time the police shows up at your doorstep? I hear you think now, well, yeah, but I know my family, I know my friends, and it wouldn't happen, not in my backyard, not in my family. And this is because we tend to think in stigmas. We tend to think that people who would do this, they're either really pathetic, lonely men spending 24-7 on the internet waiting for children they can groom. Or they must be really psychopathic men, really violent, with no conscience whatsoever. I can tell you from experience, this stigma is simply not correct. In my career, I've seen sex offenders with a lot of life potential. Social, charismatic men. Men with no psychological disorders whatsoever. Men with jobs, with wives. Men you wouldn't ever believe to get in trouble with the police at all. Men like your football mate, like your neighbor. Men like your colleague or your husband or your son. Where I'm heading at is we shouldn't think about this problem only from a criminal justice perspective. Yes, definitely, law enforcement is a great solution. Repression is a great solution, but it isn't always the right one. Of course, when someone has committed a lot of offenses and doesn't ever intend to stop, we should punish them. But the criminal justice system is always meant to have been a last resort, and we should keep it that way. Think about this 18-year-old who took a nude picture of his 15-year-old girlfriend and then shares it with a friend who sends it to the whole school. Yes, definitely, we should have a proper conversation with them. But should they really learn the hard way? Should they have a criminal record for the rest of their lives? What about this 20-year-old? silently been struggling for a couple of years now with pedophilic feelings and who is now thinking about approaching children online. Don't you think that someone like that would be better off if we were willing to speak to him? If we were willing to help? If we would want to listen and help him towards treatment? Consider this example. A couple of years ago, I was speaking at a conference, after which I got approached by a lady, and she had a five-year-old daughter who just received love letter and flowers from a guy who was living in their area. 
Well, what this lady already did was she went over to the guy's house. He was in his mid or late 30s. She spoke to him and it turned out that indeed he was really in love with the little girl and he couldn't hide it no longer. She spoke to him. She had a really good conversation and she convinced him to find psychological help. And what she asked me was, shouldn't I be concerned now? I'm really worried now to let my child play on the street. Well, I can completely understand, definitely. But what I told her was, at least now you know where the dangers are. And now you can manage this risk. Maybe you've prevented this guy from starting to commit crimes at the first place. Point five, up to three percent. There's many, many, many more people struggling with these feelings. We just don't know where they are. I can assure you that law enforcement is working really, really hard every day to get a grip on this problem. There's a great focus on prioritization and working on the most dangerous offenders, the most extreme cases. And to get back to the newspaper article that I showed you in the beginning, I started with a bit of a negative vibe because I wanted to make you aware of the problem that we're facing. But at the same time, behind the scenes, law enforcement is working really hard. They're professionalizing and working together internationally to really get a grip on the tip of the iceberg of people active on these networks. And I must say, I'm really proud. However, we can do so much more And in order to do so, I need your help of every single one of you out there. Because law enforcement only is not going to arrest their way out of this problem. And that's because we're talking about a public and a mental health issue, which is a shared responsibility for all of us. So please, let's be open about the problem. Let's acknowledge that this problem exists and let's make sure that people will find the strength to come forward. The biggest mistake is to say that it won't happen in my area because that is to deny the problem because it happens everywhere. We've all seen the hashtag MeToo discussion, haven't we? We never thought that this was such a big issue until people started to step forward. And then the problem portrayed itself in all its varieties. So how can we be open about the problem now? How can we break the taboo? Well, first of all, let's stop with hate. Let's stop with negative vibes in the media and let's stop with throwing rocks at offenders' houses because it's not gonna take us anywhere. It's never gonna solve this problem. But rather, please, let's be rational about this problem. Let's talk about it. Let's be open and let's be a mature society. What if your son would approach you one day and would tell you that he's struggling with pedophilic feelings? Would you beat him up? Or would you want to help? It's only with this openness that people will find the strength to come forward and that people will find the help they need. And I truly do believe that this will bring us one step closer to prevention. 
However, as for me, if this talk or even my daily job helps to saving only just one child, for me, that's a solution in itself. Thank you very much. Hey, Landon back here for just a second. I just wanted to round out with just a little bit of commentary. I didn't want to just leave you with those TED Talks flat. Um, you know, I think when we look at the, the, the points of, of disagreement here uh, between those of the word and those of the world, um, we, we have to, first of all, understand that we have a, a completely different view on the source of the problem. Okay, so they're saying that it is a biological problem you're just born with, that you're, you're born with the biological problem of uh, being an adult lusting after children. And what we're saying is all of fallen man is trapped in sin, and, but apart from the grace of Christ, we're all dead in our trespasses. Okay, so... The problem is a problem of sin, not of biological issues. Okay, so that's, that's where they're, they're actually just fundamentally wrong because they don't understand God's creation. Um, but I can see why they think that could be the case, and they're trying to rationalize why it could be the case. Um, the other part where we disagree is that they say that the solution is conversation and treatment by medical professionals and psychological professionals. Um, which is basically secular counseling and drugs. Okay, so that's their solution to a what is effectively a sin problem, which they view as a biology problem. So I can see in their world where you would identify something as biological, which is treated by something physical, um, and you try to basically n- dumb it down, numb it down, and keep it out of society problem is is that they're wrong it's it's not a biological problem that's treated by drugs um you can basically make somebody catatonic and they will not be able to molest children and that okay so that's true uh but that's not a solution to the problem um the the solution uh, has always been and always will be the church so because Europe is a godless society now, uh, they don't see God in anything. They don't see God's uh, created order. They don't see his uh, created solutions. And they don't see the grace of his son. So there's no redemption and hope apart from their own physical hands and what they think that they can come up with and manipulate the physical world uh, to control society problem is, is that the, the, their approach is never going to work. And so the, the approach to solving a problem of pedophilia, which is a sin problem, is to have a new heart, is to know Christ and be reborn and to go and sin no more. That's the solution. And that's the work of the church. So when the church is absent, sin runs free and Satan wins the day. You cannot ever overcome a sin problem with a physical 
solution, a political solution, a law enforcement solution. No, because it's a problem of sin. So we have to be honest. I agree with her. You have to be honest and talk to people about these things. But you also have to be honest about what the problem is. And you have to be honest about what the solution is. And there's only one solution. And there's only one way to be reconciled with the Father. And that's through Jesus Christ. And in that, there is hope and redemption. No matter what your sin problem is. Whether it's porn, whether it's gambling, whether it's drugs, whatever. Um, And pedophilia falls right in line with all those other things. So yeah, um, it's, it's funny that she says that she thinks that uh, this, this uh, last lady um, in the second one says that, um, you know, most people's reaction is to ban these people from society. Well, again, that's a physical solution. So she doesn't even understand that there's a Christian solution with the Lord apart from kicking people out of society. So she can only see a secular world. Her, her worldview is soup to nuts secular. And the other thing I want to highlight that both of the ladies talked about is that they both try to get you to think about pedophilia being the interactions of an old teenager with a young teenager. And that is not the core of the pedophilia issue. The core of the pedophilia issue are older people going after children. That's the core of the pedophilia issue. So don't be, don't let them change your Overton window to think that, oh, we're just imprisoning a bunch of 19-year-olds who are in love with 15-year-olds. That, that is not what's happening. Now we have grown men abusing children to their own satisfaction. So anyways, I just want to throw a couple comments there to kind of wrap that up. I didn't want to just leave it hanging out there um, without talking about the fact that the church is the solution. So if you make disciples and people are in the kingdom, well, they're not going to be pedophiles. Honestly, someone who's born again in Jesus Christ and walking with the Lord and walking with the Holy Spirit is not going to be a pedophile. It's not going to happen. So someone who claims Christ infiltrates the church and then is a pedophile because he hurts kids, well, that person is not walking with the Lord. That person's not truly a follower of Jesus. That's an infiltrator. That's false Christianity. And you see that with you know, the priests who have abused children or the, the pastors, the false prophets who have their little harems and abuse the Sunday school children or whatever. Last thing I want to mention, because I've, I've come across this quite a lot in our work, there is a lot of pedophilia that happens with women. Women abuse little boys a lot. And um, that has, oh man, that has hit our radar so many times. And it doesn't really get talked about very much. And um, yeah, uh, I just don't want you to think that this is kind of a one-sided issue or whatever. The one lady did mention, there's just not enough statistics. The other thing is, and just, just to end on this, sin is not a statistical issue. Law enforcement is a statistical issue because they're dealing with the macro-level instabilities of society. But sin is an in of one. There are no statistics that justify your sin. Just because your sin is uncommon doesn't make it justifiable. 
And it's also like when we say, oh, you know, my child has cancer. Oh, but, um, you know, cancer is so rare and hardly anybody gets it. Well, statistics are kind of out the window at that point because your child, statistics be damned, (laughs) your child has cancer and is fighting for their life. Uh, You don't really care much about statistics at that point. And the same goes for an uncle who's molesting a four-year-old niece. It doesn't really matter that it's someone that she knows or it's in the family or whatever and that it doesn't happen to be you know, tied into a pedophilia ring that's systemic and blah, blah, blah. That, it just doesn't matter. So we can't get trapped in these artificial conversations and arguments. Sin is sin. The solution is Christ and being reconciled with the Lord and reborn as his child is really the only solution to any sin issue, and that applies to pedophilia. All right, going to stop it for now. It's been a long one. Thanks for hanging in there. This is Landon out. Cheers.